Hey everyone, thanks for joining us online for North Point's message this weekend. We opened two weeks ago um, going live on campus for services on Sunday mornings and so far it is going really great. We've been really just blown away by the people coming and the excitement of being on campus um, and all of the precautions that we have in place that are working really well and uh, we're just thankful for the opportunity to be together again. But if that's not something that you're quite comfortable with, we are so excited that you're choosing to join us online. If you could do something for me, if you could go to the North Point app on your smartphone and go to that connect card letting us know that you joined us, that would be super helpful. If you don't have the app yet, you can also text guest NCC to 94090. And I'll give you a link that will take you to the Connect card so you can let us know that you joined us that way. That also helps us to just keep you informed about what's going on at North Point. So please be sure to do that. This week we are doing communion. So this would be a great time to pause this message and gather your communion supplies so that you can join us later on in the service for communion. Open wide to mercy, waiting that's brand new. Your love's taking me over again, over again. Your hands lifting me up so. Oh. 
morning let's do communion together i want you to pause this video i want you to go out to your kitchen get yourself a piece of bread or a cracker and get yourself some juice of any kind and come back and go for a walk with me so one of the greatest thrills of being an educator is to be able to teach students that are the children of my former students nothing gives me a greater thrill on the first day of class than to look at a student and go you're johnson aren't you and they'll say, yeah, how do you know? And I'll say, uh, you have a smile or you have his voice. 
Now, just as we have physical characteristics of our parents, we also carry the uh, characteristics we've learned through years of being around them. How we handle our anger, how we handle our frustration, how we tackle problems, how we love on our spouses, how we love on our children, all come from our experience of being around our parents. Well, so too with our Heavenly Father. The more time we spend with Him, the more time we spend learning to get to know His Son and having this relationship with Him, the more we take on His characteristics. Now, those are the characteristics I really want in my life. Those are the ultimate characteristics. So spending time reading scripture, praying, enjoying God's creation, these are all ways that we can worship him and we can get to know him better. So as we come before the communion table to this morning, let us be thankful and grateful that we have this heavenly father that we can learn from and become more like. You know, on Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he was about to suffer and he was about to experience the pain of the cross. Yet he had such peace, he had such joy. And he sat down with his disciples and uh, he took a piece of bread and he gave it, gave thanks to the Heavenly Father. Eucharisteo is what it is in Greek. He gave thanksgiving and he said, this is now my body, which is gonna be broken for you. Take and eat of this and remember, I died for you. Later in the meal, Jesus took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the covenant. Through my blood, your sins will be forgiven so that we can have a right relationship with our Father. We are to drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, his sacrifice. You are the ultimate father. You gave the ultimate price so that we can become your children. We just thank you so much for this privilege. Help us to be more like your son. Teach us, Father. Show us how we should live. Father, we just want to love you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day. Hey, North Point, if you would grab your phones right now, we're going to do our offering, and you can do it a few different ways. You can go to our website, you can use the North Point app, or you can text NCCGIVE to 77977. You can set up a one-time giving or a reoccurring. While you're doing that, I just want to tell you about our Global Leadership Summit. It's coming August 6th and 7th. It's a Thursday and a Friday and North Point is gonna host it. This is one of the best leadership conferences that they have, and the theme this year is You Have Influence. So maybe you're in a leadership position, or you would like to be, and you don't think that you're um, that effective, natural-born leader, but maybe you are. I think that we all have great influence. I encourage you to check this out. You can text GLS to 94090, It'll send you a link so you can register. The registration is $99 with North Point's secret code, LEAD2020. You can also check out the website from there, um, see who the speakers are. But I encourage you to check this out. This will be a great conference. Also, we have a blood drive going on today. It's not too late to join, so I encourage you to check that out. It's in Timbertown in our children's area. Lastly, today is Father's Day. And while this is a day set aside to remember and to um, acknowledge and to celebrate dads, I just encourage you to spend some time today in the quiet, um, remembering our first and greatest Father God. Um, think about his attributes and his blessings that he's given us. Um, just go to him in a heart of gratitude and praise and thank him for the wonderful things that he has done. Um, I hope that you will enjoy sitting and just the stillness and the quietness of him. With that, check out this Father's Day video. No matter how old we are, we always remember what our dads say and do. 
My dad is more like Jesus than your dad. Nuh-uh. My dad doesn't let anybody eat any food until we pray for it. My dad prays for one minute every day. You know what? Our church has pancakes. This is what my sister and mom use for their blush. My dad says that mean kids never know what they're talking about. Because their parents don't know what they're talking about either. My dad says to punch meanies in the face. Then my mom says, don't ever do that. And my dad goes to time out. (laughs) (laughs) My dad's beard is itchy whenever he kisses me. My dad takes me to church so we could learn to be just like Jesus. My daddy prays for me. Then he makes me stop talking and go to bed. Then I get a flashlight and read my comic book. That's a sin. He's sinning. No, I'm not. Sinner. No, I'm not. R2. 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 My dad said that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. My dad never stays mad at me. My dad taught me to forgive because Jesus forgives us every time we ask. I want a mohawk. I wish I had hair. It's okay. Your hair will probably grow back. Thanks for being our dads for all our lives. Hey, happy Father's Day. I want to give a shout out to dads as well, to young dads who are chasing little guys around their house, to dads who are uh, trying to navigate the teen years. Happy Father's Day Um, to adoptive dads, to stepdads, to dads who can't see their kids for one reason or another, to uh, grandfathers and great-grandfathers. Um, We appreciate you. We appreciate what you do. We appreciate your example. We appreciate your wisdom. And man, we need you more than ever today. So uh, happy Father's Day. Um, uh, Happy Father's Day, too, to dads who aren't able to connect with their kids because of any number of reasons, but especially because of death. And uh, and to... um, to kids who can't connect with their dads because their dads have have entered into eternity. Um, if you have an opportunity today, be sure and just give your dad a call. He'll like that probably more than a tie. And just tell him how much you appreciate him and uh, talk to him about the impact that he's made on your life because uh, he has made a huge impact one way or another. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe he's been a great example. Maybe he's shown you some things not to do. And you don't have to tell him that, but uh, thank him for being your dad. We start today a new series called Fearless that I'm just very, very excited about. Uh, this series comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Um, why, why a series now from the book of Daniel? It's for this reason. Daniel's life was off the rails his life was one of chaos. When, when he was probably 14 or 15 years old, he was taken from his home, taken to a different country, to a different culture with all kinds of pressure, and, uh, and then lived in that other culture for the rest of his life. He served four different kings. Um, he saw two different changes in power from when Jerusalem was overthrown by Babylon to when Babylon was overthrown by Persia. Um, Daniel was there for all of that. And the kings that he served weren't just uh, kings that if, if uh, you displeased them, they would ask for your resignation. These, would, these were guys who would kill the people who worked for them in very visible ways if they didn't like what they did. A lot of pressure for Daniel. Um, and so this whole concept of fearless, I think, is so important for us in our culture right now. Daniel lived in the center of chaos, and yet um, when when you read through the book of Daniel, you never have this sense that he's afraid, that he's uh, that he's out of balance, that he's shook by his circumstances, 
There's this constant trust, which I think leads us to the, to the title for this series, uh, Fearless, When Your Life is Off the Rails. Uh, we're, we are living in a time of incredible chaos. I don't know if you know that or not. It really is. It's crazy out there. Um, there's, there's all the stuff related to, to COVID. There's the racial tension that exists. There's political tension as we prepare for, for an election. There's financial uncertainty for so many businesses as well as families. There are so many things all around us that we look at and we say, man, this doesn't make any sense at all. The danger for us is that we give in to a fear that paralyzes us, that keeps us unable to do anything productive because of the uncertainty, because of the chaos, because of the fear. God has called us to live lives as followers of Jesus that are lives of purpose, lives that have meaning, lives, lives that have a sense of calling. And if we're paralyzed by fear, we're not responding to that call from God. Um, that's why this series is so important. God has called us to live fearless lives. He's called us to live fearlessly, no matter what our circumstances are, even when our lives are off the rails, even when our lives are filled with chaos. So take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. Um, if, you're, if you're using your physical Bible, it's a little bit more than halfway through in the Old Testament. If you're using a, an online version of Scripture, it's in the Old Testament, and it's about two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament there. We're going to start in Daniel 1. We're going to uh, spend the next several weeks just kind of looking through Daniel. And I want to start and just jump, jump in right at, at Daniel 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. They surrounded the city and captured it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in, in the treasure house of his God. This is about 605 B.C. If you look historically, Babylon uh, sieged, besieged and captured Jerusalem three different times. They won three different victories there in, in 605 B.C., in 597 B.C., and then in 586 when, when Jerusalem was, was literally destroyed, when the city walls came down, when the temple was destroyed. That all happened in 586. Um, Understand that Daniel is there in the midst of this. We're going to get to his story in just a second. But that this is a, a time that's contemporary to the prophets uh, Ezekiel and to Jeremiah. Um, when, when Babylon captured a country, as they became a world power and conquered everything, when they captured a country, what they would do is take the leaders from that country and they would disperse them to other cities in their kingdom. They did it to remove the leadership from that particular country and eliminate any hope that there might be for, for an uprising later on. If there, were no, if there was no leadership, if there were no people who could rally the people around them, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to fight back against Babylon and, and they would become uh, uh, people that, that were just very docile and uh, easy to manage. That's what happened uh, in 605 B.C., Babylon comes in, attacks Jerusalem, takes uh, Daniel and a number of other Jews and sends them through, through different places throughout, uh, throughout their kingdom. Why is it that when we start a series or when, when we talk about something in Scripture that I am so bent towards uh, talking about the historical context of that particular passage? Why is that important to me? Because it gives evidence to me of the real, reliability of Scripture. If the biblical accounts are not tall tales, but they're actual events from history, then all of Scripture is trustworthy. And the opposite's true as well. If they didn't really happen, if they're just made up, if they, um, if they were just uh, kind of passed along uh, fictional accounts, then we can't trust any of Scripture. But if they're real historical facts, we can trust everything that God uh, that God gives us in his word. Verse 3, Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service 
some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some, of, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel and his friends, his three friends that are there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the names that, that are the names that we typically use when we talk about, about those three. Daniel and his friends were probably somewhere in the age of 12 to 17. I think 15 is probably a good age to, the, uh, uh, to kind of land on. And they were taken from Jerusalem, from Judah, and transported into the city of Babylon, the most important city in the world at this point in time. Mammoth-sized city, um, uh, very rich, very lush. Uh, the gardens of Babylon were one of the wonders of the world at this point in time. This is about 800 miles from Jerusalem. So if you can picture taking a 15-year-old or four 15-year-olds in our case, some of the best and brightest from Lansing, and picking them up and marching them to Quebec City in Canada... Completely different culture, completely different language, uh, completely different environment. That's what happened to Daniel. That journey probably lasted uh, four months or something like that to get from Jerusalem to Babylon. It was a long time. And, um, and once they arrived there, the job of the Babylonians, the, the, the uh, servants of the king, were to take those young men and assimilate them into Babylonian culture. They were designed to take everything that they knew and rewrite it from the perspective of Babylon. The training, the indoctrination would take about three years, which is kind of interesting because that's, that runs a pretty close parallel to what a college education is for us when kids leave their home and go into a different environment. They're, the job of the servants of the king was to change the way that these guys thought, the way that they approached everything. They, they were to teach them how to speak in a new language. They were to teach them how to think. They were to expose them to Babylonian literature. They were to teach them what to eat and drink, their, their physical habits. If you think about it, the Babylonian playbook to reprogram Daniel's life and, and the lives of his companions was to isolate them from all of their people, from all of their past, from all of their culture, from everything that they knew. Uh, if, I, if I can just pause for a second, understand that God designed us for community and not for isolation. God put within us the need to be connected with other people, to be walking on that same journey with them. So when we talk about being involved in a disciple-making relationship, um, both to have someone investing in you and you investing in somebody else. That's all about community. It's why at North Point we say um, circles are better than rows. Uh, people doing life together in life group, that that's so much more important than just what happens on Sunday morning, as important as what happens on Sunday morning is. God designed us for community, not isolation. But, ba but the Babylonian playbook was to isolate these new people from another country, these potential leaders, and to separate them from everything that they knew. Their goal was to, to not just isolate them, but to indoctrinate them, to change everything that they could picture, everything that they could think about life. It was to intimidate them, to force them into a role, that, uh, into a way of thinking that was different than they had been taught. And, it, and the last part of their playbook was really to redesignate their personality, to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. So they took their Hebrew names and threw them away, and they gave them new names. Because the Hebrew names that were there, here's some research for you to do a little bit later today. Um, the, the Hebrew names talked about the power of God and God's involvement in their life, the God, Yahweh God, the God of the universe, the living God. And when they came to Babylon, they didn't want any reference to those names. They wanted names instead to Babylonian gods. 
and culture. So they renamed them. They redesignated who they were. If you think about this, as a, as a 12, 14, 15-year-old kid, what would they have experienced at this point in time? It, uh, I, I think that they would have been uh, scared to death of so many things. They would have been afraid of being put to death. They would have been afraid of losing their identity. They would have been afraid that they would never see their families again and probably didn't. They would have been afraid of, of defying the law that they had been taught, the Mosaic law, the law about how to interact with God. I think that they had to be afraid of failing in their, in their new role. They, they were the best and brightest come to Babylon. And if they didn't make the grave, they would be seen, their lives would be seen as failure in this far-off country, and they would have been forgotten. I, I think that their fear was that they might live inconsequential lives, lives that no one would give a second thought to. All of those fears are very real for us right now, aren't they? Um, when, when isolated from Israel, how were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how were they tested? The very first thing that happens is that they're tested to stop obeying God's instruction. Uh, the, the servants of the king provide them food and wine from the king's table, a whole host of things that they knew because of the Mosaic law that they weren't supposed to eat. If you can, uh, if you can imagine it, they're probably, they're probably having bacon and eggs for breakfast, and they're not supposed to. They, they can't eat bacon. That's an unclean food. And for lunch, they're, they're having pulled pork sandwiches. For dinner, they're having barbecued spare ribs, pork ribs. Uh, do you get this? They're, they're being challenged to eat things that they know that they're not to eat because God has said, don't eat these things. They're unclean. Um, and in that context, they had to think, ah, does it really matter all that much what we eat? We're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're not surrounded by Jews. Does it, does it even matter? Is anybody even going to know what I do, isolated from everyone? If I don't obey, am I going to be executed? Am, am I going to die? How does it make sense to, to not eat what the king serves and then to lose my life over that? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, when you're isolated, a lot of crazy things happen. Your mind plays lots of tricks on you when you're separated from people, from the community that God designed for us. We begin to doubt. We begin to worry. Our imagination begins to go crazy. We have this sense of fear that wells up inside us because we're all by ourselves. What's going to happen in this situation or that situation, what, what, what if that occurs to me? When you're isolated, you lose the ability to think clearly. And in prison or um, uh, during war, when, when uh, soldiers are isolated, it's not uncommon for them to begin to hallucinate because they can't stay um, in control of their rational thought in isolation. When you're isolated, you... you tend to focus on one thing and to get into this repetitive uh, loop where those thoughts just keep, in, keep going round and round and round and, and growing exponentially. There's a reason why solitary confinement is such a powerful tool in prison and in, in war. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were isolated. They were separated. They were in exile from their people. How did they respond to the new normal of their life? And, and here's the challenge for us, I think, in this. We're entering this new normal in American culture, post-COVID. Uh, how did Daniel respond to the new normal? He knew um, who he was, and he knew his source of faith. That's where it all started for Daniel. How did Daniel survive the, the transition to the new normal? He knew who he was, even at 15 years old. He knew who he was. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 1 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. Daniel understood the source of his faith. His relationship with God was such that it was the center of his life. And everything else was secondary to that, 
to that relationship that he had with God. Daniel's faith was not in himself, not in his own abilities, not in his knowledge. It wasn't, his faith wasn't in the goodness of his Babylonian captors. It wasn't in his circumstances. His faith was real in spite of the circumstances that he found himself in. His faith wasn't dependent on the circumstances or the environment. He knew, I'm not going to betray what I know is true based on the teaching of the Torah, based on my faith. Daniel's response to the new normal was uh, that he knew who he was. He knew the source of his faith. He also then acted with respect. Daniel, um, when he was challenged to, to deny what he knew was right, he didn't throw a fit. He didn't resort to violence. He didn't go on a hunger strike. Instead, he actually worked hand in hand with his authority and his authority was really scared of what was going on. And if you read through uh, 11, verses 11 through 14, it says this, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So the servant agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Daniel, um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are supposed to eat the food from the king's table. And Daniel says, we can't do that. How about this? How about we do a trial? And for 10 days, we eat what, what, uh, what we know that we're to eat according to our law. And then you just see at the end of the 10 days, he acted with respect to those who were in authority over me, uh, over, over him. Um, he created a way to test and see if God's law would prove itself. Um, his authority ultimately saw that God's law was better and they were rewarded and able to eat according to the, the Mosaic law. Um, when you look at chapter 2 in Daniel, there's a similar thing that happens. Um, Daniel has now been raised to a place where, where he's in an advisory position to the king. Um, the king has a dream, and he says to his advisors, I need you to explain uh, the, what my dream means to me. And so he calls them in. He calls in his magi, his, uh, all, all the fortune tellers, everybody, and says, explain my dream to me. And they say, great, king, what's your dream? And the king says, no, 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 no. You guys are supposed to be so smart. You tell me my dream, and then you explain it to me. And the guys say, how can we explain a dream that we don't know what it is? And he says, if you're as good as you say you are, you will know what my dream is. And if you don't, if you can't tell me what my dream is, you're going to be executed. Um, the, so all of the advisors are ready to be executed. In verse 14, it says this, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I love that phrase. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. How, how did Daniel respond to the new, nor, new normal? He acted with respect to those who were in charge. He didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't cause a stir. He didn't, um, you know, he, he didn't cause an uprising. He acted with respect, with tact, with wisdom and tact. I love it. Uh, what's the next thing he did? He prayed, and he had his friends praying. Here's a, here's a question for you. In our current environment with COVID, what are, you, what are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who do you have praying for you through this time of incredible stress and, uh, and, and really challenge in terms of how we're to live? Verse 17 of chapter 2, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. In the middle of a crisis, in the midst of a new normal, what do we need to do? We need to pray and have people praying for us. We need to pray for each other. If we go back to last week's message about the, the armor of God, prayer is so important um, as a part 
of that armor as a, as a part of the battle that takes place on a spiritual level. What else did Daniel do in the new normal? He praised God. Verse 19 says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. What a great phrase. Daniel prays, God responds. Daniel praises the God of heaven. And then he gives God the glory. Uh, uh, you know, if you're handling COVID really well right now, and people ask how you're doing it, what's your response? Do you draw the attention to you and say, you know what, I, I, I just have a kind of a calm disposition? Or do you say, oh, you know what, I really trust Dr. Fauci. And so I, I'm, able to, I'm able to just kind of chill through this whole thing. Daniel didn't. Daniel gave God the glory. If you look in verse 27, 28, 30 of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel replies, No man, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. In the midst of a new normal, Daniel was able to treat those around him with respect. He was able to praise God. He was able to give the glory to God. He was able to trust God and to know who he was. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah went from circumstances full of fear to a place of power because they didn't give in to fear. How how can you be fearless in isolation? You know, when you're living in isolation right now, how can you be fearless? Fearless? You've got to first come to grips with what it is that you're afraid of. I I, I really want to challenge you because you're watching at home right now. What is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid of getting COVID-19? Are you afraid of dying from COVID-19? Are you afraid of contracting COVID-19 and then, and then giving it to someone else? Are you afraid of your kids getting COVID-19? What is it that you're afraid of? You need to name that and, and, um, and be able to talk about what it is that's driving that fear. Um, I, in the midst of everything that's going around, it's so important for us to not just live with this constant fear, but, but to be able to consciously think, what is it that I'm afraid of? Um, when we give a name to what it is that we fear, whether that's COVID, whether that's another illness, whether that's our financial situation, no matter what it is, when we are able to name that, the Holy Spirit can then deal with it and deal with us. Um, in our area, the threat of COVID is really pretty small. Um, and it helps if we're afraid of getting that to just put that in perspective. You know, one of six people in the United States will die of heart disease. One in seven people in the United States will die from cancer. Um, one in 103 people in the United States will die from a fatal car crash. One in 1,100 people will die from drowning. In our area right now, the odds that we'll die from COVID are one in about 1,600, almost 1,700. We need to name our fear to be able to talk about it and to let the Holy Spirit add some perspective to that. And then we not just name the fear, we need to replace our fear with the knowledge of the faithfulness of God. How has God been faithful in your life? Um, Think for a second. How has God proven his faithfulness in your life? How has God proven his faithfulness in Scripture, in the way that he's worked historically? Has God shown that we can trust him? If so, we can take the fear that we have of the unknown and say, God, I trust you no matter what. I know that I can trust you. You have brought me through difficult times. You've brought me through times of loneliness and despair, times of isolation, times that I didn't think I would ever survive. You were the one who brought me through. Man, take some time and journal. Reflect. How has God proven his faithfulness in your life? So 
We need to name it. We need to recognize God's faithfulness, and we need to act on that knowledge of the faithfulness of God. We need to take our fears and turn them over to God. We need to stop letting our fear control us. Hear me in this. Only you, only you can make your fear more powerful than God. And you can make your fear more powerful than God. God allowed his people to be taken into captivity and to be put into bondage, literally into slavery. God has allowed the COVID-19 virus to come into our world and to enter our lives. But the virus is not stronger than God. Your circumstances are not stronger than God. We can trust him. Do what you need to do to get out of isolation. Man, make sure that you dive back into disciple-making relationships. If you've been staying at home, I want to encourage you to take some steps to get out of that isolation so that God can continue to do his work in you. It's so important to be together with the body. And I want to challenge you, if you're at home, to really begin to pray, God, when, what, what will it take? What does it mean for me to come back and to worship together? Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Hear me on this. If you're sick, if you've got any of the COVID symptoms, stay home. If you think that you've got some symptoms, stay home. Don't come to church and share those with anyone. But if you're healthy, man, start to identify what's it going to take for me to come back and to be in the body because I see so much people whose faith is withering. It's withering in this time because they don't, that they're not connected to the body of Christ. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a position why, where, by all counts, they should have been paralyzed by fear, isolated from their families, from their homeland, from their mentors, from their models, alone in a strange land that was doing everything it could to make them conform. Their life was off the rails. It was a completely different script than they had anticipated for their lives. But they didn't give up, and they didn't give in, and they weren't paralyzed. There are 59 one another commands in Scripture in the New Testament, commands that tell us to be connected to each other, forgive one another, bear with one another, love one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens. Some of those might look very different during the season, during this new normal, but they're commands for us for how we might interact with the body of Christ. Um, I want to challenge you to do it. Just one last thought as I finish. Uh, Hope talked a little bit earlier about the Global Leadership Summit. Such a great opportunity. And, and in our involvement with them, there's been some teaching. And one of the things that they said from their perspective is they found um, that people who experience the summit, the Global Leadership Summit, together, um, the, the impact it has on their life and their leadership grows astronomically if they're in connection with other people in their walk of life who are also experiencing it at the same time. Why? Because when we're together in community, we make progress, we grow, we're open. When we're in isolation, we die. Let me, let me, let me just finish with uh, words from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Daniel. God, I ask that you would work in us, that you would empower us in this season, in this new normal, 
to live with boldness and courage and fearless. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we'll see you next week. Don't, uh, don't hesitate to read Daniel 1 and 2. Dive into that and look at it some more. And read Daniel 3 for next week's message. We'll see you then.